0: Back in episode 11, our first attempt at covering the conspiracy theories surrounding the fate of Malaysia Airlines Flight 17, which came to an explosive end over Ukraine, the good doctor, now professor, Dentith, introduced the episode thusly.
1: Painted with corpses and CIA agents, theories by Henry Lincoln and Bajan. Disinformation spread on the wings. These are a few of my favorite things. Twin Towers falling and passports are burning. Conspiracy theorists and theories are churning. Government denials don't take out the sting These are a few of my favorite things When the government slights and the therapist sings When I'm feeling sad I simply remember my favorite things And I don't feel so bad
0: Tonight, we return to the story of MH17 and ask the big question, what the hell were you thinking? Wow. There we were, discussing the serious loss of life of 298 people, and you thought starting the episode with a musical number was a good idea. Well, do you see... No, you see. You see. Are the victims of conspiracy just your playthings, Professor? Are they? Are they? Answer me. Yes. Sorry, what?
1: Yes. Years and years of studying and looking into conspiracies and conspiracy theories has inured me, and now I feel nothing. Indeed, I can't even bring myself to sing anymore. The delight of the sound of music is gone. No more rocking to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Even cabaret is just a taste of ash in my mouth. Mm. You, you see, I hate every conspiracy I see from Theory A to Theory Z. No you'll never make a theorist out of me. Ah. Oh my god, I was wrong. I was a conspiracy theorist all along. You finally made a theorist. Come on.
0: Fine. We finally made a theorist. Oh,
1: you finally made a theorist out of me. I love you, Dr. Zayus.
0: I feel used. Podcasters' Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Edison and Doctor M Dentith. Hello, and welcome to the Podcasters' Guide to the Conspiracy. Uh, I am Josh Edison. They are Doctor, a- well, now Associate Professor M Dentith uh, in Auckland. Separate again due to due to illness on my uh, my part. Not any sort of nasty COVID illness, just sort of a cold. But I don't want to be around. Uh, anyone else in my infectious state? So it's true. You don't. You d- it again. I,
1: I do not need you to destroy my vigors. Mm, mm, no,
0: all your humors. Got to keep them. Got to keep them pure.
1: And viscous. I Got to keep my mm. humors very viscous. I like my vis- humors viscous and acidic at all times. And I cannot risk the alkaline nature of your illness state to make my vapors evaporate. Yeah, but
0: neither humans nor vapors nor just pus, I guess, will be involved.
1: Oh, no, you didn't mention Uh, pus. I mean, if you brought pus to the table, things might be very different.
0: Well, uh, my my, my grandmother used to tell me about bringing pus to the table, but we don't need to get into that today. What we're talking about today uh, is another paper. But before we talk about a new paper, let's talk about the old paper.
1: Well, yes, because one thing that I noted after we finished recording last week, was that we didn't actually mention my favourite slash least favourite part of the paper. And in part, this is because, as we noted in the discussion of Juhal's paper last week, the first section after the introduction basically reads as a recap or reiteration of the stuff you had done in a paper earlier that year. So we'd kind of glossed over it going, well, this is all old news, we want to move on to the new stuff. But there's one particular point towards the end of the first section proper after the introduction, where Yuha writes, the explanation to social events provided by historians and social scientists tend to be relatively boring, as they refer to all kinds of accidents and unintentional side effects of actions, whereas conspiratorial explanations resemble action movies. Now, I think that seems both a bit of a stretch and a false dilemma to boot. What about you, Josh?
0: Well, yeah, conspiratorial explanations resemble action movies. I mean, some some of them do, certainly, but then some of the official theories uh, are, are, are action movie-like enough by themselves.
1: Yeah, 9-11 being a very mm. good example. If you had pitched to me the plot of 9-11 back in 2000, I would assume you were doing a sequel to Executive Action, Executive Action, or Executive Decision. Executive
0: Decision, the one where Stephen Segal falls out of an aeroplane.
1: Yeah, very, very yeah. early on in the film, and I still am mm-hmm. not entirely sure whether that was due to a, a literal fallout in the production, or whether he was just a glorified cameo. I mean, you could you could think that Executive Decision is meant to rest upon the idea you think Segal is going to be the hero, but it turns out to be that pluckle pluckle. Plucky Kurt Russell, which Mm. doesn't really make much sense because Kurt Russell was kind of famous as having done action star stuff by that point anyway. It wasn't an unexpected decision. It was not an executive decision to make Kurt Russell the hero, but I would have taken it to be a sequel to Executive Decision. Mm.
0: It does kind of sound like it. I mean, Watergate has all the trappings of sort of a spy thriller, espionage. It's very
1: Three Days of the Condor or. There's a film called The President's All the President's Men. I just think you could do Watergate as a version of All the President's mm. Men.
0: Although actually Watergate, I mean, the, half the reason why it all came out was that it was so comically badly done. So it might actually be more of a, more of a bit of a farce, more of a bit of a, a parody of a thriller, but nevertheless cinematic.
1: And of course the invasion of Iraq, looking for those pesky weapons of mass destruction, really does read a lot like an episode of The Thick of It.
0: Yes, which is why they then made the film. Uh, what was it called? In the Loop, which basically was a parody of the WMD justification for the war of Iraq, with all the characters from the thick of it.
1: I but do ma- miss Malcolm Tucker. Mm.
0: That was were they technically like different characters, but the same in the movie? It was. It was so yes, Malcolm sort of Tucker same, is the same thing.
1: character. The other actors who appear in the thick of it are playing different characters in the film. So Malcolm yeah. Tucker remains consistent, but the other actors who are in the TV show are playing different roles in the film adaptation of the TV show. It's a little bit messy, but it kind of mm. works. Yes,
0: good fun anyway. Um, which is more than can be said, of course, for the case of Flight MH17. Uh, no no fun to be had there at all. But that's what we're going to be talking about this week, because, now, how did this come out? You just, you just got a ping that you'd been cited in a paper and that this paper involved MH17, one of the earlier things we looked at.
1: Yes, yeah, that... so basically, like most academics, I'm signed up to a whole bunch of websites which act as repositories for papers. So I'm signed up to academia.edu, researchgate.net, fill people which is actually an open access repository which means that you get notifications when papers are posted to those sites which are in your research specialty but you also occasionally get emails saying oh you've been cited in paper x sometimes it turns out the email they send you is when you've written a paper and you've mentioned an earlier paper of your own so you go yes i i know i'm cited in that paper i cited myself in that paper but this paper I was cited in, and it wasn't written by me, but it is written on one of the two foundational texts of the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, which are, of course, MH370, which does get a reference in this paper,
0: mm-hmm. and, of course,
1: the other ill-fated Malaysian Airlines flight, MH17. And I thought, oh, I'm cited in a paper about a topic we've talked about on the podcast before, not once, but twice. Uh, And keen listeners slash subscribers to the podcast will be very much aware of that because I have put those two old episodes back into the loop with fresh mixes, so they should sound better than they did back in the day, to kind of remind you that we've talked about this in the past, and thus we might be able to link what we're going to talk about today with stuff that we talked about all the way back in 2014 and 2016.
0: Mm. So, um, I think that's enough introduction, how about you play one of them fancy stings and we'll get into the paper itself. Right, so the paper we're looking at today is called The Impact of Russian Anti-Western Conspiracy Theories on the Status related Conflict in Ukraine, the Case of Flight MH17. It was published in the Baltic Journal of European Studies, Tallinn University of Technology, and it's written by Dr. Holger Milder of Tallinn University of Technology and Dr. Vladimir Sazonov, University of Tartu. These are both cities in Estonia which I, in my ignorance, had to Google to find out. Tallinn is the capital of Estonia and Tartu is its second largest city. Uh, now, in the, the, the biography at the end of this paper, it points out that both Dr. Milder and Dr. Sazanov are members of Cost Action 15101, Comparative Analysis of Conspiracy Theories, which is uh, something you had experience with, I believe.
1: I was also a member of Cost Action 15101, although we just called it Compact. Okay, because comparative analysis of conspiracy theories turns out to be compact, because it turns out if you get European Union research funding, so a ERC grant, you not only have to come up with a long name, you have to come up with a pithy six letter acronym of your project that then goes into the system. Although I think they're actually running out of six letter acronym acronyms actually no it must be seven because compact is not six because i don't know anything about numbers i'm really really no. bad with them but you have to come up crazy. with you know kind of exciting names so karen douglas's new project is called conspiracy underscore fx which i spent a little bit of time going why that because oh it's conspiracy effects isn't it it's not fx it's effects which of course actually yes. is what fx used to mean back in the day anyway mm. so frankly I'm also a bit of an idiot who doesn't know how to use numbers.
0: Hmm. But you uh, have been a member of Cost Action 15101, uh, which means, have you met these two doctors? Possibly.
1: There were a lot of members and... It is possible I have met them. It's possible I've even had conversations with them. It just turns out they don't immediately spring to mind when I think of people that I've corresponded with in the compact network. It's possible I've got drunk with these people, which also might explain why I don't remember them offhand.
0: Hmm. But anyway, the paper, it has an abstract, which is always nice, uh, and so I'm going to read it. <clears throat> How very
1: abstract of you.
0: Hmm. The Russian Federation has a wide arsenal of tools at its disposal for conducting information warfare to achieve its strategic objectives in the ongoing status conflict with the West. The active exploitation of conspiracy theories has thrived since pro-Kremlin forces started armed conflicts against Ukraine in 2013 to 2014. This article focuses on the crash of Flight MH17, widely used by the Russian media to fabricate various conspiracy theories which make out that the West and Ukraine are responsible for the disaster. The study examines several Russian outlets and TV channels and concludes that the Russian media often used falsified stories and emotional rhetoric and narratives they spread about the crash of flight MH17. The narratives used to create these conspiracy theories claim that the incident was a Western provocation aimed to generate hostility towards Russia. In disseminating these kinds of conspiracy theories, the pro-Kremlin media created distrust against the West and the Ukrainian government among a larger audience and produced discomfort and disorientation about western and Ukrainian news. So yes, it's, it's a bit of a I don't know, there's a, there's a bit of a survey in there basically, it's sort of going through a bunch of Russian media um, to, to, to bring up this case that uh, they've been promoting conspiracy theories um i'm going to sneeze i think a little bit because i have a cold
1: (sighs) you (sighs) heard it here first oh that's
0: lovely Uh, delightful now there are six sections um to this paper some of them i think we might skip over fairly quickly because it's a long paper to begin with and some of it's not specific to our area of interest and also with a head cold i'm kind of fighting to stay awake um but the first one is an introduction, and it's always good to spend a bit of time looking at the introduction, because that, um, that lets you know what you're in for. Uh, and also, mild spoilers, uh, is, where, is where the um, citation of a certain MRX dentith appears. So do you wanna kick us off with the Do you wanna kick us off with the introduction?
1: Because the very first line is, since the evolution of communication networks, I actually kind of feel that I actually need to put a bit of an echo onto this, because it does sound like the opening crawl of a film, so hold on. Since the evolution of communication networks over the last 25 to 30 years, of which the internet and social media soon became the most powerful influences of public opinion globally, More and more conspiracy theories have become available across various types of media outlets, influencing the everyday lives and mindsets of people around the world. The world entered into a post-truth environment where the boundaries between truth and lies, facts and beliefs, became fuzzy and hardly recognisable.
0: You, um, you're not a fan of the term post-truth, are you?
1: Well, I don't like the idea that post-truth is a new thing because if you've done any study, study any study of the media over time, you'll be aware that people have been talking about us being in a post-post-truth movement for a very, very long time indeed. So, going, oh, it's only it's only a recent thing. It's in the last generation we've entered into the post-truth world. Okay, so no, people were saying that back in the 80s, in the 70s. In the 60s, in the 50s, in the 1850s, in the 1840s, people have been worried about how people attack or tackle with truth for a very long time now. So as soon as anyone says post truth, I go.
0: Mm, So yeah. Not a new thing. At any rate,
1: the introduction continues.
0: New information channels enormously multiplied the number of sources by which information could reach its potential customer and made fake news hardly distinguishable from real ones. Conspiracy theories can be spread very fast via social media with the help of the massive and coordinated fabrication of fake news which is skillfully entwined with mainstream news streams. This new environment encouraged the rapid dissemination of politically motivated conspiracy theories in which personal beliefs successfully compete with objective facts. Interdisciplinary research on conspiracy theories includes various disciplines such as psychology, history, philosophy, semiotics, religious studies, media and communication, and political sciences. See Abalakina Pap, 1999, Burnett et al., 2005, Clark, 2002, Cody, 2003, 2006, Dentith, 2014, 2016, and 2000. 2016 and a partridge in a pear tree. So I'm assuming all of those people cited there were members of Compact?
1: Uh, no, so no? The, so you'll note by the date most of them aren't. So Ablaa part published in 1999 Compact only ran for five years. So the type so basically between... 2014 to 2019 so basically most of the material actually predates compact by quite some time this is simply a case of doing a literature review and going oh here are some here are some names that i know
0: jolly good and there there, there we have steve clark david cody and you right alongside so i I think you're in good company there
1: i am indeed Um,
0: and it's nice that yes a, a survey of the um of the literature You're one of the names that pops up. Um, I think that is the extent to which you are cited in this paper. It is indeed.
1: Basically, I appear in the introduction, and then it's basically just Russia, Russia, Russia the entire time. They've got a really big hard-on for Russia in this paper. Always going on about Russia. Imperial Russia, communist Russia, post-communist Russia. It's just Russia, Russia, Russia. Not enough time spent on me far too much time spent on the topic of the paper, which is Russia and its attitude towards stories around MH17. I am delighted. Absolutely delighted. It continues. Russia, whose historical and cultural roots
0: of conspiratorial tradition extend back to the long-gone imperial period, has been among the pioneers of contemporary information warfare and actively started to use different forms of information campaign to further its political goals. Um, so yes, you're right. It is all about Russia and uh, Goes on a little bit longer and then finishes off Um The current study focuses on a selected sample of the Russian media, e.g. TV channels, news agencies, publications, and digital media, and examines their connection with the conspiracy theories that emerged concerning the catastrophe of Malaysia Airlines Flight 17, or MH17, which was shot down on 14th of July, 2014, during the course of armed conflict between Ukraine and the pro-Kremlin rebels in Donbass, which apparently is the southern region of Ukraine, where all this is going on. Uh, This article argues that the Russian media often turned to anti-West in conspiracy theories in order to support Russian information campaigns against Ukraine and to justify the accusation of responsibility of the West and Ukraine over the downing of flight MH17. So no, 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 uh, no mysteries about what it is they're going to be covering in this paper.
1: No, and as we'll see in section three, they're going to give a potted history of exactly how Russian information control works. And in Section 4, they're going to state quite explicitly that they think that the downing of the MH17 really was just an accident, but that Russia has used that accident to launder particular conspiracy theories to kind of cement its control both of its internal population and also to kind of cause issues for people overseas but what we should do before we get on to the kind of nitty-gritty is talk a little bit about section two with respect mm. to how they define the term conspiracy theory
0: yes section two is methods and data sample which yeah is, is sort of part of the stuff that is that is not of so much interest to us but um it does it does start with a bit of definitions which is what uh, a good philosopher is always interested in they they start section two by saying the term conspiracy theory has been defined as a specific type of communication process which gives a proposed explanation of some historical event or events in terms of the significant causal agency of a relatively small group of persons, conspirators acting in secret. And where do they get this definition from? They get it from a, a what no other than one Brian al Keeley and also. Uh, The the type of communication process is referenced to a a Wenzel, I don't know this person, but um, in 2016 they wrote a piece called Political Potentiality of Conspiracy Theories, where they've taken this, this, this part of the definition, that a conspiracy theory is a specific type of communication process.
1: Now, Lexia is, I believe, a journal in semiotics. And that particular special issue was edited by Massimo Leone, who is a friend of mine, who also turns out to not just be a disciple of the late Umberto Eco, but recently, as um, in the last few days, got engaged. So well Well, done, Massimo, Massimo. for posing for a photo with a person that you're planning to get married with and posting that on Facebook. He's very mm. into posting things on social media because, as mentioned, he's into semiotics. Yes.
0: Uh, interesting to see that, that um, this initial definition is, is not pejorative at all, um, and also doesn't, doesn't, as we've seen in other places, bring in the idea that a conspiracy theory is inherently opposed to an official story as well.
1: No, and actually what makes this particular article interesting is it doesn't really need to go into that particular discussion because it is widely agreed that the downing of flight MH17 really was a tragic accident. So it's very much focused on, okay, so given it was an accident, but there are some unwarranted conspiracy theories out there, what can we say about what Russia is doing with those theories? So they don't need to go into, we're going to have a labored debate about whether conspiracy theories can be warranted or unwarranted. They're simply going, look, in this particular case, we are concerned about a very particular unwarranted conspiracy theory and how it's been used for political purpose.
0: Hmm. First, we have, uh, though, move on to section three, Russia's conspiratorial legacy in the status conflict with the West, which is one, two, three, three and a bit pages of history that we can probably probably skip largely over. But basically, it points out that um, uh, Russia has a long history of promoting conspiracy theories, and it has a long history of uh, being conspired against and people promoting conspiracy theories against it. Um,
1: yes, so, I mean, when you think about Russian conspiracy theories, you've got the Tsarist hoax of the, elder pro- of the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which is pre-communist. You've then, of course, got the various great terror plots that went on during the communist era, uh, one quote they've got here. During the Soviet era, the belief that Western countries were dreaming of the annihilation and humiliation of the Soviet Union was overwhelmingly disseminated in the society. And, of course, the Soviets weren't wrong. There were people in the West that were dreaming of the annihilation and... Hum- hum- uh, hum- I can't say humiliation. I can't even say that Humiliation. humiliation. Mm. What an interesting mm. word you people use. Humiliation. Yes. So they, they weren't wrong. I mean, it may well have been a feel that it was a threat from an outside force, but it was a threat that did actually exist.
0: Mm. Um, I think the only thing that this section is a little bit um, is a little bit of exceptionalism. Perhaps they kind of make it sound like this is specifically a Russian issue, but um, governments all over the world conspire and are conspired against. Pretty much all the time.
1: And this is very much a story about a country which has been under autocratic control for a very long time. And you might think that actually what we're seeing here isn't really specific to Russia. It's probably more generally something we see in autocratic societies which is not to say you don't see it outside of autocratic societies but it does seem to be a feature of autocracies that you have this particular type of control whether it be russia whether it be north korea or whether it be kind of one-party states which are technically democracies and yet only one party ever seems to be in control
0: So yes, not specific to Russia, but since Russia is the, uh, what they're concentrating on in this paper, I guess it's, it makes sense that that's the other ones they're talking about. But um, skipping over the rest of that section, we get to section four, the MH17 story, which is, is basically a bit of a rundown of the whole history of the MH17 event and uh, what took place around it. Um, so it starts with... A, A little summary. Uh, In July 2014, heated battles between the armed forces of Ukraine and pro-Russian rebels took place in Donbas. Ukrainian units tried to cut off rebel supply lines coming from Russia in the area of Shakhtarsk. During the Battle of Shakhtarsk, a Malaysian civilian aircraft carrying the designation of Flight MH17 from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur was most probably accidentally shot down in the area before the incident several ukrainian aircraft were shot down over rebel controlled territory telephone calls made by the rebels and recorded by the ukrainians led to the conclusion that boeing 777-200er had been shot down by mistake as it was thought to be the ukrainian airplane an-26
1: and that's according to the dutch safety board who were the ones who did the major Mm -hmm. investigation into the fate of mh-17
0: yes and we'll be getting to investigations by the dutch uh, a little bit that, later That sounds a bit rude Investigations mm.
1: by the Dutch
0: Ooh, It does sound like, yes I, I think that might be my favourite euphemism now. I'll have to find more excuses to use it
1: Have you been investigated
0: by the Dutch recently? Oh, and constantly. also,
1: do you want to be?
0: Just, yeah
1: You don't even have
0: to ask um,
1: Look Josh, <clears throat> I, I will always get consent To investigate you in a Dutch fashion
0: Fair enough uh, but yes, yeah, so we can see straight away that the, this this paper basically takes it as read that it was a, the, that MH17 was accidentally shot down um, But as we'll see this uh, Accident or no, it was seized upon by Russia um, uh, In a number of different ways um, And of course at this point they they do sort of name drop as well um, the fact that MH17 wasn't the first tragedy to have befallen Malaysia because Airlines. Because it was, I believe, as but, yeah. Queen Elizabeth
1: II said, an anus horobolus for Malaysia Airlines that year. Not quite, but I, get, I take your meaning. Um, the paper itself
0: says, a little bit later, Nevertheless, Russia actively targeted this tragic event involving a scheduled international passenger flight to promote conspiracy theories, accusing Ukraine and the West of using civilian lives to fuel the War of Donbas. These conspiracy theories gained traction from the fact that the crash of flight MH17 was not the first incident of its type, with a Boeing 777 of Malaysia Airlines flight MH370 mysteriously disappearing in March 2014 on its journey from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing, allegedly over the Indian Ocean and far away from its route. No rational explanation has been found how did the plane deviated From such a course nor any sign that confirmed, To confirm that the plane fell
1: Now we'll actually be returning Back to the story of MH370 In our bonus episode this week Because my do we have Some updates for you about mm. That story but let's, let's leave 370 to one side And focus on 17 Which according to my my Calculus comes before 370 and yet occurred afterwards That seems mm. a bit fishy
0: it does a little. Someone's been tinkering with the time stream, perhaps. Indeed, um, section 14 talks about the various ways that Russia sort of weaponized the story and produced a bunch of uh, like fake Section 14?
1: There aren't, there aren't 14 sections in this paper. What paper have yeah, you so been reading? I'm getting, I'm getting my
0: 4s and my 17s mixed up, clearly.
1: Don't worry, when I was actually doing the, the prep for this episode, I kept on calling the flight MH-11, because it turns out that our 11th episode was on flight yeah, MH-17, like 16, yeah. and yes. so I kept on writing about MH-11. It was very confusing, because then I was trying to do mm. searches for information about flight M- MH-11, and it turns out there are there's, there's very little information about flight MH-11, which is itself very mysterious. What mm. is it they don't want us to know about flight MH11, which I'm assuming must have occurred somewhere between MH17 and MH370.
0: You'd have to assume, but we don't have time to get into that now, because we have a great variety of um, Russian Russian fake news stories that were promoted in the wake of the MH17 disaster by the.: Now one we're not going to mention in Russia.
1: Much is one which I'm fairly sure we have mentioned in one of the early episodes, which is the UFO connection, the just asking Mm. questions. I'm not saying it really was a UFO, but which was a broadcast that occurred in Russia, I think around about 2016, where, because most of Russia's media is state run, whether it's explicitly or implicitly known to be the case, they have a whole bunch of shows which seem to just launder in misinformation one of the hosts was going well i i don't know that it is a ufo that caused the uh mh-17 to disappear but at the same time <clears throat> people have suggested it might be the case so we should probably take this seriously which appears oh, to just be a case of of law la- laundering disinformation in order to distract people from the awkward situation going on in the ukraine at the time
0: hmm. And thank you for giving me cover for a large sneeze there. If I had a bit more warning on, I probably could have muted, but no such luck. Um, But yeah, they sort of go over a bunch of the things initially that these stories that came out that, yeah, um, theories that uh, it was Western provocation, that flight MH17 wasn't in the area at all. It was another plane that had been shot down. Uh, Theories that the plane was there, but hadn't been shot down. It had been uh, exploded because a bomb was detonated inside. Um, and then all all sorts of other stuff getting down to was shot down by the CIA, by the government, by an Israeli missile, I see we have here. We have, um, then even uh, more paranormal causes, like somebody mentioned the possibility of a hole in time. So there you go. There's your wacky numerological hijinks. Um, planes that, that, yes, three, three, MH370, uh, somehow went through time and was in fact shot down over Ukraine and the h 370 was MH17. Uh, yes, the UFO. Um, other theories tried to convince the public that the crash had been organized by groups aiming to get the New World Order, e.g. Illuminati, to trigger a third world war. But um, they go through all of this stuff, and then um, in Section 5, four conspiracy theories disseminated by the Russian media, they basically go in a bit more detail about four sort of general conspiracy theories that were coming out of the Russian media, media regarding um, MH17 based on their, their sort of survey of the media of the time.
1: So let's start with the first one, which is mm. that the real culprits here were the people of the Ukraine. Mm. Yes, so they
0: list they list four of the um, list out four conspiracy theories uh, labeled CT one to four. CT one is indeed Ukraine is responsible for the catastrophe. So apparently, the largest proportion of articles portrayed Ukraine, e.g., state government, Ukrainian army, as being responsible for the crash of flight MH seventeen in eastern Ukraine. According to this narrative, Ukrainian armed forces were blamed for shooting down flight MH seventeen, and Ukrainian soldiers, sometimes mentioned by name with the guilty parties for this catastrophe.
1: Now, we should point out that when Russians talk about eastern Ukraine, Ukrainians don't talk about eastern Ukraine. Ukrainians talk about the Ukraine. Russia well, they talks talk about... about I should
0: say they talk about just talk about Ukraine. Apparently, they don't like the Ukraine because it makes it sound like a region more than a country. A country. Or
1: oh, I can understand that. But yes, in Russia they talk about <laughs> western and eastern ukraine because mm. of course russia has its eyes on it on indeed. that western bit of the ukraine which it really would rather was its rather than ukraine's mm, mm, yes kind of like, what was the deal with um with macedonia
0: they had to change their name to North Macedonia or something because Greece complained I never quite understood what went on there
1: Oh well, I a these is a because because Greece wants to take the legacy of Alexander the Great who, of course, was Macedonian, but the Greeks have gone, well, actually, he was a he was a Greek rather than a Macedo, Macedonian. They don't really want anyone taking Macedonian culture away from Greece, so the people who live in modern-day Macedonia, which used to be a part of Croatia, are now living in northern Macedonia, because it was the only way that the Hellenic states were going to allow northern Macedonia to kind of get into the EU.
0: And, yes, yeah, this is kind of irrelevant, but but basically, like most people, my knowledge of um, European geography is largely informed by the Eurovision Song Contest. Which includes so
1: Australia, would... which makes it very confusing. And Israel, yes. Because yes. it turns uh, out that that's actually not the European Union Song Contest. It's the, if you belong to an organisation called Eurovision, which will include anyone who pays a licensing fee you can be part of Eurovision. So technically, Josh, we could, via the podcast, get enough money, require an awful lot of work, but it is technically possible to enroll Aotearoa New Zealand into the Eurovision Song Contest and then get Flight of the Concords to appear in the Eurovision Song Contest, thus winning Eurovision for all time in the name of the Southern Hemisphere. Hmm.
0: Although of course the rules of the universe song contest state merely that the song has to be written by the country So indeed the Flight of the Concords could appear uh, Singing for any, any country they chose as long as the song they were singing had been written by that country
1: I'm sure Jermaine and Brett would not do such a thing Probably not We
0: appear to have got off topic and I'm pretty sure I'm to blame So I'm going to pretend that's not true and just forge straight ahead to CT2 which is that the MH17 crash was a classic Western provocation against Russia. So, uh, the, the the next the next sort of branch of conspiracy theory um, is that basically the West, by which I assume they largely mean the US, although possibly the sort of NATO Western European states, I suppose, uh, collaborated with Ukraine in the downing of MH17. Um, as they put it. Uh, In Komsomolskaya Pravda, Yevgeny Sazanov described the case of MH17 as a classic Western provocation against Russia. He claimed that NATO and the United States were interested in sending their troops into Ukraine for, as he put it, a so-called peacekeeping mission, but Russia did not react to such provocation from the West, and thus the West apparently organized the shooting down of the civilian passenger flight. So, um, I, I guess a false flag?
1: Yes. And indeed, actually, okay. what's interesting is that this particular Russian also linked 9-11 as a false flag to the events in Ukraine as well. So going, well, look, America did it in the past with respect to the destruction of the Twin Towers in New York. And here we've got another example of an action which is beneficial to the Americans coming in and doing a bit of peacekeeping in Air quotes. So if we think that 9-11 was a false flag, we should think the downing of MH17 is a false flag as well. Mm.
0: Um, now, by the time you get to Conspiracy Theory 3, um, where the, the US is acting on its own, Conspiracy 3 is that the United States or the CIA shot down MH17, or if not shot down, then um, caused the crashing of MH17, because um, as they put it, Several articles published by the Russian media claim that flight MH17 was destroyed due to the detonation of a bomb by claiming that the crash was an act of terrorism organized by the US Central Intelligence Agency. The CIA was also, however, directly accused of shooting down the airplane. So one way or another, they claim that um, the US themselves directly uh, caused caused the crash of MH17 either by shooting it down by their own means or by Put it planting a bomb on the plane and then claiming that it had been shot down after the fact.
1: Now, an interesting aspect of this particular conspiracy theory is the reference to the discovery of secret materials amongst the wreckage, which then went to show that something more than simply a plane crashing had occurred, which has ever so slight shades of the whole thermite thing with respect to 9-11. Hmm.
0: And then it would sort of get extra conspiratorial because when um, they question the U.S.'s investigation of what was going on, because if the U.S. was behind it, then the investigators were actually secretly investigating themselves.
1: Which, which would be a bit of a problem if the U.S. were in fact behind be the event. True. And actually that and brings th- us in quite nicely to Conspiracy Theory mm. 4, which portrays the Dutch as being the real villains of the space.
0: Yes, um, you can talk about that one because I'm going to blow my nose noisily, but I'm going to mute myself first.
1: Yes, you, you blow your noisily nose. So this one goes, although this narrative was mostly disseminated by fringe portals and outlets such as the information agency of the Russian public movement Renaissance, the Golden Era, it has still been widely used in Russian media and social media. This conspiracy theory relies on obvious facts, such as how flight MH17 was flying from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur, which makes the Netherlands and its government easy targets for conspiratorial accusations, together with the fact that the government of the Netherlands started an investigation into the crash of flight MH17. And in this case, they're saying, look, MH17 was bombed rather than shot down, and where did that bomb originate? Amsterdam. Yes, yes if, if
0: the flight had originated from the Netherlands, then that must have been when the bomb got put on the plane. Um, and the suggestion is that uh, the Netherlands themselves were behind it. Uh, thank now, you for reading that out to our, to our yeah. listeners at home. You can assume that I was just noisily blowing my nose the entire time that M was speaking, and I'm now completely devoid of mucus. That's not quite true, but it's a...
1: You'll never be completely devoid of mucus. Mucus is what keeps you together. It's true. Now, actually, what Uh, is interesting about this particular thing was that it had never really occurred to me to ask why did the Netherlands do the investigation into the fate of MH17? But, of course, they would do the investigation into the fate of a flight that left their region to go mm. elsewhere. They are they are the port of origin. It makes sense that they would then do the investigation into what happened to the flight after it left their airspace. Mm. Um, it, these
0: theories apparently made a lot of claims that uh, witnesses heard more than one
1: explosion. Um, so more than one gunshot? More mm, than one gunshot, That yes. sounds very
0: JFK esque. Yes, like one of them had one of what one of the one of the shells that hit the plane had come from a, gla- a grassy knoll of some sort. Um, they so, so uh, the quote from the paper. Uh, this paper says all witnesses say that they heard several explosions in the air. Some witnesses say they heard two explosions. Others mentioned three. But the Russian system Buck, which is the the kind of anti aircraft thing that supposedly shot down the plane. Uh, can make just one explosion. If it, is ever, if it ever has to be proven the plane was blown up, the Netherlands will be fully responsible for the fact that the plane took off from their airport with the bomb on board. Um, and that, yeah, I mean, we, we, we hear similar claims like that all the time. Buildings bombed and people came, oh, I heard two explosions or two shots fired and so on. But I mean, certainly if, if in the case of a plane being shot down, you can come up with reasons why there could have been more than one explosive noise anyway.
1: Well, precisely, because you might expect there to be at least two explosive booms. The first boom would be the book hitting the plane and exploding, and then the second boom would be the plane exploding after the book has hit it. It seems like something which seems like a fairly plausible explanation as to, yeah... A missile hit the plane, it exploded, it caused the plane to explode, which meant there was a succession of explosions heard by air witnesses. And of course, that's relying on the idea that A, people weren't hearing echoes, and B, the air witnesses were in fact reliable witnesses when it came to reporting what they thought they heard on the day. Because of course, the mm. other explosion you might hear is thing hit plane, plane explodes plane hits ground, plane explodes again. Mm. But, um,
0: yes, yeah, so the, the, the I guess the the salient point of this one, though, is that Russia, while while casting around for people to blame this on, uh, basically hit upon the fact that, okay, if, if we're already at the point where we're saying there was a bomb rather than a shell that caused the plane to explode in the first place, um, then we have another another candidate for the guilty party in the Netherlands because they were the ones that allowed a plane um to leave with a bomb on it but of course Which obviously it would, this would assumes... be very
1: slop- would be very sloppy if the ne- dutch went oh yeah it's all right you got a bomb on your plane but it'll be fine it'll be fine it'll be fine
0: yes yes i mean at the very least if they're not claiming that the the, the netherlands the government of the netherlands whatever for some reason Decided to bomb this thing at the very least there they, they are culpable. They would be rather culpable um, Just because of their because of their negligence, but um, So th- those are the four main groups that this paper looked at of, of conspiracy theories that were promoted by Russia in the wake of MH17 um, And that that just kind of leads into the conclusion basically um, this paper isn't it, It doesn't seem to sort of advance an argument as much as we might expect from, say, a paper in the philosophical disciplines. It's more of sort of a media survey, but it certainly seeks to prove a point. Um, And it, it summarizes all of this in section six, which is, of course, the conclusion. And the conclusion is short enough that we can probably read the whole thing out in one. Should we do it a paragraph at a
1: time? I think so. Okay, you start. The conflict in Ukraine, which broke out in 2013 to 2014, immediately became part of an enhanced status related conflict between the Russian Federation and the West. Anti Western feelings emerged and started to attract the political elite to the Russian Empire after the Crimean War of the mid 19th century, a time when many prominent representatives of the Russian elites felt themselves betrayed by the West. Since then, Russia has started to promote more forcefully the idea of Russia as a unique civilization suffering under constant attack from the West, in their secret aim to govern the whole world. During the Soviet regime, conspiracy theories about the West reached their peak in official propaganda. But these misperceptions did not dissipate along with the dissolution of the Soviet Union as Russia continued its civilizational battles. I'm
0: surprised they didn't put scare quotes around the word "secret" in the West's secret aim to govern the whole
1: world. Because but at it, any rate, I mean, arguably the West does have a secret aim to govern the whole world. I mean, it's not it's not implausible to believe that. We, yeah, I was going to say, it's it's not really
0: much of a secret that they do. Um, at any rate, the conclusion continues. The vast majority of conspiracy theories present in this content analysis blame Ukraine for the incident. The rest portray the West, the United States, and more rarely the Netherlands as responsible for the catastrophe of flight MH17. Nevertheless, almost all the narratives disseminated by the Russian media concerning flight MH17 firmly prove its link to the status conflict between Russia and the West, which is strategically promoted by the Russian Federation in its attempt to increase the impact it has on international relations. In this conflict, Ukraine has been portrayed as a puppet state, which is heavily dependent on. Its Western hosts. Such articles often feature interviews with people who allegedly possess secret materials on the MH17 crash, which prove that Russia and pro Russian rebels could not possibly have organized this crash and that it was done by Ukraine and the West.
1: The crash of flight MH17 represents just another case of a tragic event incurring real losses about which the Russian media has intentionally distributed fabricated news and stories in order to disorientate and confuse the audience, using it as a propagandistic tool against the Ukrainian government to portray it as weak and unreliable. Just make a note to myself there to not include sentences that long in my new book. Mm. A strong anti-Western component has been retained in the rhetoric of these fabricated narratives around the event. Samples from the Russian media have attempted to create a kind of illusion of Western provocation directed against the Russian Federation and pro-Russian rebels in Donbass, in which Ukraine was sided with the West in order to accuse them of this crime.
0: So there you have it. Um... A conclusion that I don't think would come as a massive surprise to anyone, really, that the Russian government has disseminated a whole bunch of conspiracy theories um, around an issue to do with Ukraine. Uh, but 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 an interesting uh, an interesting journey to get there, nonetheless. It's not the sort of paper I'm used to reading. Um, Yes, yeah, so but... but I
1: wanted something more substantive as a conclusion, truth be told, because it really does. Given the title of the paper is, and let me just scroll all the way back up to it because I can't. The impact of Russian anti-Western conspiracy theories on the status-related conflict in Ukraine the case of Flight MH17. I kind of wanted there to be more discussion of the impact. It's more a description of Russian Mm. anti-Western conspiracy theories on the status-related conflict. But it doesn't really say much about the impact of those theories. How persuasive were they? How commonly believed are they? Are they taken seriously within the Russian Federation? Are they useful in kind of stirring support for Russia in Western nations by people who are sceptical of their Western government i kind of wanted to look into that as to have these conspiracy theories which are in the terms of the paper unwarranted have they been successfully weaponized both in russia and outside of it and also arguably what have they done in the conflict in the ukraine
0: mm. yes yes i suppose for a paper that that is all about the impact it doesn't say a lot more other, around the impact, other than it had one. Um, so, yes, a, a, ni- a nice overview of, of, of a, an area of conspiracy theories, but um, maybe a bit light on, on actual uh, uh, conclusion, I suppose. Nevertheless, you were cited in it, and that's kind of interesting.
1: Well, yeah, and you know, this is probably going to happen more and more with time. Mm hmm. So, I think we've come to the end of an
0: episode. Um, so, before I once again revert to being a, a fountain of mucus and, and horrible sounds, um, I'm just going to, to go retreat into a box of tissues, leaving you merely with the thought that I say goodbye.
1: And I will say, happy mucus time, everyone. Mm. The podcaster's guide to the conspiracy is Josh Anderson and me, Dr. M R X Denter. You can contact us at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com and please do consider supporting the podcast via our Patreon. And remember, Soylent Green is meeples.